Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 39 of the Speaking Club podcast. In this show, I found out that my body is an instrument of communication and why up until now, I've been playing bum notes. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. This month is focused on helping us to be more successful at sales. And this episode is all about body language. My guest is someone who spent years walking the corridors of power in America before learning why some people appear more powerful than others, whether they deserve it or not. Shelley O'Donovan shares so much insight about body language from the walk we do onto the stage to the micro expressions that give us and our negotiating partners away. If you want to learn how your body language can make you more powerful as a speaker and win you more sales, then you'll be fascinated by what Shelley has to share. Experienced public policy consultant, lobbyist and body language specialist. Welcome to the show, Shelley O'Donovan. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I really am looking forward to this because um, body language is one of those things that we know is important, but we so often forget to do what we should be doing and often don't even know what we should be doing. So um, so tell me, with over 20 years experience in the public policy arena, presumably you've had to deal with, you know, lots of politicians, corporate leaders, and you've Mm -hmm. probably seen maybe the worst and the the best of human behavior. But how did you get into body language? Yeah, so I, um, you know, part of my job was going up and lobbying. And I would also write uh, talking points for other lobbyists. And so I was had just taken a body language course, I was just interested in it. And then I was asked to go up to our state capital to lobby on behalf of the life science industry. And so those meetings are basically like four people get in a room with a legislator, and they kind of pitch why, you know, a little bit about their company and then why they think that they should, uh, you know, support funding or support something related to, you know, whatever we're talking about. And so I use the same talking points I had from the year before, but I took all the body language tips that I learned and I kind of laid it on thick. I did everything that I was taught and I was just blown away by the difference that it made. I mean, all of a sudden I'm sitting next to CEOs of major companies and yet the legislators asking me questions and everybody's looking at me. And then on the flip side, we met with one legislator who was a junior legislator, just came in and he had this amazing energy. And I noticed everybody sat up different in the room. He, people were like happy when they left there and he had almost no power in the legislature. So it was just amazing. And I thought, I want to refocus my career. I want to help other people to do that and to find that superpower. Brilliant. So could you, I mean, would you have been able to discern before you'd done the course what it was that made him sort of stand out and memorable and engaging for people? Yeah, so I, I may have had an inkling just because I had spent so much time in politics and working with people and really have always had this intense interest of, of how people tick, really. Um, but I don't think I would have really been able to pinpoint exactly what it was. And so it was clear to me that it was, you know, how he used his arms and how he sat and how he looked at people and kind of all these body language which cues that I only really knew after taking that course. And then certainly later when I went into in-depth training with uh, a behavioral research lab called the science of people, that's when it really hit. And I was like, wow, like this makes such a big difference. And we were never taught this as children Um, and, and not even as adults rarely. So uh, yeah, it can make a big difference. And do you think that guy had it naturally or do you think he'd done some training? 
That's a good question. So I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, he was certainly somebody who, you know, excelled at that public speaking and, and all these things and, and probably was elected because of this, this char charisma that he had. Um, but I think he was probably trained a little bit along the way as well. Interesting. So, so do you firmly believe that charisma is something that you can learn how to do and how to be and how to have rather than it just being something that you've either got it or you haven't? Yes, definitely. So I think charisma is, is scientifically it's confidence and, um, it's confidence partly, and then also competence. So it's those two factors together that make people seem more charismatic. And so there are certain things from a body language perspective that we can do to kind of amp those up. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I do think you can learn to be more charismatic. There are people who are born with it and, and they probably learn it from other people in their lives um, as well. So it's something learned and, and innate as well. So if you've got, if you've got someone like, I know I'm good. I've heard that he exudes charisma, uh, Bill Clinton. So, yes. so some of, you know, presumably Chelsea might've picked up some of those things just by watching her father. That's, that's potentially how that could happen. Right. Absolutely. And some of that is innate too. We're a bit genetically wired for certain personality types and such. Bill Clinton's interesting though, because I met him as oh. a, um, as an intern or I'm sorry, it, I think it was the first year I worked in the state government in New Jersey. I was a staffer and we had driven in his motorcade, um, for a, some kind of fundraising event. And he came in the room and I literally did not see him walk in the room, but I could feel him walk in the room. Really? He had, yes, he had a presence. I still have a picture with him shaking my hand. And um, I just could not utter two words to the man because I was just <laughs> blown away by, by his charisma. And since then, I've met a few other people that, you know, have that level of, maybe not to the same level, but um, yeah, he definitely has a, something about him for sure. So is it, is it something that now with, with the learning that you've done and the experience that you have that you could put a finger on? Is it just that combination of confidence and competence or was there something else going on with him that, that, yeah. That so I think, yeah, I think it's, I definitely think it's that. The other thing I noticed at the time was that, um, he shook my hand so much that it hurt. So I, and even in the picture that I have, you can kind of see that my hand is a bit like my fingers are a bit crunched. <laughs> now, whether I just gave him a really weak handshake at the time or not, I don't know. But, but I do think that a handshake is really important in that first impression. And so he had a you know, strong handshake. He walked in the room confidently. He looked you in the eye. Uh, he had those types of body language cues that are really important. Wow, that's brilliant. And, and I guess so it's a nice segue into my, my question that I wanted to cover off, first of all, is that, that, I, that thing about first impressions, um, it, it is so important, isn't it? And whether you're attending an interview or networking, it, it, it does matter. Now, what should we be doing to be making those powerful first impressions with our body language? Yeah. So the first thing I would tell you is just, first of all, being aware that it does matter, right? You don't want to be kind of caught off guard if you're going into a big, a big thing, whether that's like an interview or a speaking engagement or something like that, and not even think about what that first impression is going to be. So that's the first thing, just being aware. But the second thing is really making sure that you get yourself ready for that. And so you know, that could be doing a power pose, you know, arms up and kind of amping up in, maybe it's in a bathroom stall. Maybe it's before for me, it's always, I'm usually driving to events. So I put on like my favorite, you know, get up and go kind of songs and I'll just like rock out in the car on the way there. And it gets me ready to take on that big challenge. And so those types of things to get, get you ready. And then when you walk in the room, you want to make sure that your, your posture is good, that you're standing upright, that your arms are kind of open, that you're showing your hands, 
and that you're ready to, to take on that, that big day, that big event, that big introduction, whatever it is, and, and try not to have a lot of stuff with you. So sometimes we are running places, we have like five bags and, and that makes us look a little disheveled and organized and that can give a bad first impression as well. Uh, see this see that's what i think men some of these things men do more naturally than women in my experience anyway yes. you know the sort of they do take up more space than we do in they the do absolutely stand. and and now i know they don't have to carry a handbag either so that's another, exactly exactly that's, that's another advantage <laughs> that they've got yeah. excellent okay someone once told me about um you know, when you're walking into a networking event, they, they told me about this doorway thing that you can do. So at home, you can practice, you know, entering a doorway and having that, you know, lifting up your body and shoulders back. And stuff. is that something that you, is it good to practice these things at home? It is. It is good to practice. And you can also practice body language in places where there's not quite as big a I don't know, like you're not as nervous about. So, you know, if it's just your, I don't know, your kid's baseball game or something, you kind of practice a little bit or talking to anybody um, in those kind of low stakes moments uh, as well. So yes, but when you walk in a room, you want to practice that. You can also kind of cue to people that you see as you walk into the room um, that shows that, oh, I, I know some people here, those types of things as well. So when you use the word cue, because if you've did it a few times, what, what do you mean yes. by that? Is, is it, do you mean it in, in terms of a signal? Is that what you're, is it a sort of, yeah. a, 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 not an obvious one, a subcontinent, I'm trying to find the word here. I'll let you say, so <laughs> you tell me a bit more about cues. Sure. So body language cues are just things that we do. So it could be anything. It could be a gesture. Maybe it's, you know, if you're talking about an increase in sales, you might be like, oh, an increase in sales are up. So any of those types of things that you do that are gestures or movements or even facial expressions, those can be cues. So, so for instance, and I'm, I, I tend to do this, I think naturally anyway, is when I'm talking to someone, I'll nod just to give them, even if I'm not speaking, the reassurance that I'm right. listening, that sort of thing is, a, yes. is a cue. Okay. Yes, that is a cue. And that, so with that nod in particular, if you give someone a slow purposeful nod, they will actually speak longer. Um, if it's a quick nod, that's this universal signal for hurry up. And it can make people feel a little anxious because they, they feel like, oh, like she wants me to move on, right? Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I can have to look at my nodding speeds if I didn't realize that at all. Okay. And then you mentioned, so with the example of Bill Clinton, you mentioned about the eye contact. And, and right. I, I've heard it mentioned as well for people like him, that it's almost like you're, you're, you're bathed in sunshine, Such like you're, you're the only person that matters in the room to them. Even yeah. If just for a few seconds. Is that part of the body language thing as well? That is. So there are certain, um, there are three types of gazes that we make when we look at someone. So the first is um, a social gaze in which we're very much focused on their eyes. Um, and we make this triangle with our eyes. So it's for the social gaze, it's eye, eye, mouth, and our eyes just naturally do it, but you would be looking at somebody's eyes. Um, for like an alpha gaze, we go up to the forehead. So this is a power gaze. And someone who is really strong, like this, you know, aggressive CEO type, they would be looking up here at a person. And so they would do eye, eye, forehead, and their eyes would make this pattern. And then the other one is an intimate gaze. And that are the eyes. And then this piece down here, which is called a suprasternal notch. And so that we do from an evolutionary perspective, whether we're married or not, or you know, in a relationship. And that's really um, evolutionary. We're just trying to see like, would that person maybe make a good mate at some point? So we do these gazes, but certainly uh, some of those people like Bill Clinton or others who are just incredibly charismatic, they will look you straight in the face and they have this just way of pulling all that body language in and making you feel like you're the only one in the room. Um, and you can do this sometimes if, you, uh, if you're sitting in the audience. So next time you go to hear a speaker and you're sitting in the audience, really pay attention from a, a nonverbal perspective to the speaker. So if you nod your head a few times, if you turn your head, if you look them in the eye, 
and they will start to look to you. They will start to speak to you because you're doing those things and you're kind of encouraging them. And so that's one trick you can try just to practice and see if you can get the response from someone else. Wow. And should we be intentionally doing these things? I'm trying to think back. So I've never consciously looked at someone's forehead, whether that means I'm, I'm low status. Is there a sort of, why do we do, I mean, I can understand so that the sternum, that's the hollow of the neck that you were pointing to. Right. I can see people, might, which is quite a, it does, you know, it's quite, I think it comes across as quite a sensual, you know, yes. I think in, in, it's always portrayed in that way. But, but why, why the difference? What do you, do people consciously do it or is it an unconscious thing? So it's a little bit of both. Like certainly I counsel women sometimes that have a hard time in the workplace and they're being told they're not assertive enough. They're not aggressive enough. And what I tell them is go into work tomorrow and start looking here on everyone and do not look at anyone's eyes. Focus here mostly. And people will start to say that you're being more assertive. And so those are times that we can use it consciously. Uh, But on the subconscious side, a lot of the, you know, big CEOs, they just do this. It's kind of in their DNA and they've learned some of it along the way. Some of them have learned to do this, but others that's just, you know, in their DNA and that's what they do. Uh, And it's this kind of almost like a status. I think you had said status, like I'm, you know, a little bit better than you kind of approach. Gosh. So I suppose it doesn't, it's not great if you're a small CEO though, <laughs> looking up at yeah. someone's forehead. I just, so that just popped in my mind. Yeah, it is, it is tough because, you know, I personally am kind of a shorter person. And so I really have to take up more space if I want to be that person that people see in the room. Wow. And, and other people, I have had men that have counseled who are just towering and they're getting the opposite. They're getting told that they're a little too aggressive or just too much. And I say, just tone down the body language, like pull it in a little bit. Don't, you know, I know it's just natural for you to kind of open up and hang out, but you need to tone it down a little bit because that's why you're getting that feedback. Wow, that's really that's such a, such an interesting subject. I, I love you know I love those. I think it's lighty lighter me. There's a there's all those oh, yeah. programs with yeah. the facial tick. I mean, yes. I possibly, do, but it's just amazing. So should we be managing? So let's go back to first impressions again. Sure. Should we be um, changing up how we look at people, the different types of gazes and and power pose, depending on who we talk to, or should we always do the same thing? How does what's your advice yeah. there? So it depends what you want. So what I say is there's no good or bad body language. There's only body language in alignment with what you want to put forward. So for example, if you were going, let's say you got a job tomorrow and you were managing a team and you've been told that this team is not getting along well and that they need somebody really authoritative to come in, then you may want to do that like power gaze. Um, On the flip side, if you're a doctor and you're going in to meet up with a patient, that's really going to put a patient off. So you really want to do a social gaze and maybe a head tilt, which gives them a little more empathy as well. Um, And I've also talked to different clients who have said to me, I do not want a power gaze. It's not for me. I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. So that's the flip side too. You don't want to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable because it's not going to be in alignment with who you are. And so I teach people all about authentic influence and trying to influence the environment in a way that feels comfortable for you personally. I love that. That's nice to have that authentic <laughs> part to it as well, because it, I guess it can be a little bit manipulative if yes. it's misused. If it's misused. And that's, and my goal is not for people to misuse things. It's really just to um, understand each other so we can relate better to one another and we can, you know, just make the world a better place so we understand each other better. Nice. I like that. Cool. Okay. So, I guess we've covered, I was going to say, how do we become the most memorable person in the room? But I think we've covered off a lot of that. So being confident, do do you find, I guess, an interesting question here. So there's a book that I read uh, called The Confidence Gap, which says that the actions of confidence come first and the feelings of confidence come later. Right. Do you find that just by 
you know, intentionally doing these body language cues that indicate to others that we're more confident, that it increases our confidence as a byproduct. Yeah, it absolutely does. And so there have been some studies, some of them have been refuted about whether or not it pumps up our hormones. But but it really, if you start to do it, people start to look at you a little different. And just by them looking to you like you're a little bit more confident, it's this loop. And you can almost, um, I don't know, almost trick yourself into feeling a little more confident. It's kind of that, you know, fake it till you make it idea, but really just bringing that in back into the forefront and just putting those confidence pieces forward. Now, if you're in a situation which is really stressful and you're really not feeling it, it's tough. And you have to use every trick that you have, body language and, you know, even just amping yourself up, whatever that is. Like I said, for me, it's music. Um, so you have to pull all that in if, if you're really in a, in a struggling situation. But, um, but yes, it definitely is this loop that happens. We kind of feel confidence, so we exude it, and we can kind of show confidence and then feel it. So it's this perpetual loop. <laughs> that's, pr- that's brilliant. Okay, and cool. And so the other thing, the other side of this, I guess, is when you are in a situation like you said, it's a sort of, you know, maybe it's a... Um, high risk situation or high stakes situation where maybe you're speaking for the first time or you're asking for the sale in, in right. a sales situation. Um, it, there are things possibly that come across in our body language that we're not aware of that we do. Yes. Give me some, some, you know, ideas of what those things are that we perhaps shouldn't be doing in those situations to, you know, to undermine our confidence. Sure. So we do things when we get nervous. So sometimes speakers on a stage, they might rock back and forth a little bit. Um, they might start to like rub their arms a bit, or they might, uh, I worked with a guy who, when he got nervous, he would have a pencil and he would tap it. And during a meeting, which can be really distracting for everyone else around you. Uh, so it's those kind of ticks that come out. Um, men also, men and women will kind of try to get at this super sternal notch because it calms us down a little bit. It releases a little bit of oxytocin when we rub it. So a woman will play with her necklace to get at it and a man will adjust his tie to get at it typically. And it's all subconscious. They don't even realize they're doing it. So what I tell clients is if you can get on a conference call with someone and set up your computer video and just put it on and see what you do, you might get some ticks and then just being aware of the fact that, oh, I tapped my foot. The first time I did it, I was on a conference call and I literally got up and then I started to walk around my office. So I wasn't even on the video. So I was like, oh, and I realized that they could hear me walking on the other side as well. They could hear that I was moving. So, uh, so you want to be aware of those things. And that's one great way to just catch what you are doing. And, um, and they might change. You might fix something here. The fact that you're, I don't know, rubbing your arms or something. And then all of a sudden you're rocking and that pops out. So you have to keep an eye on it too. Is, is there any way to rid ourselves of these sort of anxious ticks, Or do we just need to keep monitoring them and managing them when we notice them? Yeah, you can absolutely rid yourself of them eventually. So it's that awareness part and then trying to, you know, bring yourself to that awareness back. So maybe if you, um, I don't know, maybe if you rub your arms when you get nervous, you just notice, okay, I'm rubbing my arms. I need to stop that. And then eventually you'll kind of let it go out of your, um, it'll go away because you'll be used to not doing it. You kind of put another habit in place of not doing it. Um, and I tell people in a corporate setting, in a business setting, where you're in meetings or things with other people, you might ask a good friend to just remind you or to just tell you after the meeting, did you notice that, was I doing that again? Like, and that can be really powerful because somebody else is kind of catching it and calling your attention to it. But it has to be somebody you really, really trust. Yeah, I imagine that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then what about on our face, you know, with these micro expressions? Right. How do we pick those up? Because that must be quite a challenge to, to even be aware that we're doing stuff. It is. So micro expressions are these intense uh, facial 
expressions that we make very quickly and they show intense emotions. So I don't know if you said something right now that made me angry, I might flash a super quick anger expression. Um, and then if you can catch it though, then you know that that set me off. And so then you can say, well, oh, well, let's talk about this instead, right? Because you caught this angry expression on my face. They, they take a bit of um, learning. So they definitely take a bit of learning to do and a lot of practice. So I tell people when they're learning them that they want to practice one at a time. And so these micro expressions were founded by um, Dr. Paul Ekman. And he has a great program that you can go through, I think, to learn them quickly. But it's, it's challenging for sure. So when you're saying you're, you're teaching them, is that teaching people how to notice them or how to do them? So both, because one of the ways, so you wouldn't normally need to do them on your own, that you do automatically. But in trying to learn them from other people, one of the ways to learn them is to just practice them yourself. So you kind of feel what you see as well. And so that's a great way to learn them over time. And I, I tell people one at a time, look, you know, look for an angry micro expression for the next week and see, see how many times you catch it. Gosh, that's really, that's really useful. So um, it might be worth check, checking that out. Okay, cool. So yeah. um, I wanted to sort of focus a little bit um, specifically on the sales piece because this month's theme is, you know, obviously it's focused on speakers, but I don't right. think there's anyone in any line of work or in any relationship that doesn't have to sell, even yes. as I always say, even if I have to try and persuade someone to empty the dishwasher <laughs> or clean their bedroom, in some way it's selling. So yes. what can we do um, to increase our chance of success from a body language perspective in relation to sales? So I think the biggest thing in sales is just being able to read other people because I've counseled salespeople before and the biggest thing that happens in a meeting. So for example, I had one client who um, their sales folks were going in to meet with clients and they would, they would go through their whole sales pitch and then they would get to the price and they would lay that price out on the table and they would talk through the price, but they were like looking down here when they said the price and they never looked up. And what they didn't realize was that the, the customers were making all these angry cues because the price was really high or the customer felt the price was high. And so if they had caught that in the moment, they could have went back and said, Oh, just so that you know what's included in our price, these five factors, and this is included. And they would have been able to address that on the spot. But when you ignore those cues and you just keep going forward, you're not going to get the sale. And so that was the piece. And that is the biggest thing, just realizing what the customer is thinking or what they may be feeling. Um, and on that, I'll just say body language is really situational. So um, I, you know, I could start kind of closing in my body language right now to you and you might feel like I'm not listening or I'm not engaged, but maybe it's that the air conditioning just kicked on in my house and I'm cold. So you have to think about what's happening in the environment and, you know, what other things are happening to set those cues off in that person as well. So you really need to, I guess it's just being really present, isn't it? I mean, I, it is. That's probably the secret to this is being, like we said, focused on the other person and being present and aware of, of their whole being really, yeah. I suppose, helps. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I had one speaking engagement in which I was speaking to a bunch of students and I had one student in the back of the room and I was talking on body language and he was kind of lied down partly on the the desk or the chair and he had his cell phone out and the whole time he's looking down like this. And afterwards he came up to me and he's like, yeah, he's like, I really enjoyed your presentation. And he's like, I know it might not look like it. Cause I was like on my phone and he's like, but that's just like how I am. And I said to him, I'm like, well, I'm like, I, I don't mind because I I'm just a speaker. Right. And that's fine. But you may have times in your life when you're going to an interview or you're sitting in a class with a professor who's going to give you a grade and you need to make sure that that impression is there and that you're looking like you're engaged. 
And so it's really in those moments that we have to kind of hone in that body language and just be aware of what we are doing. And do we look like we're paying attention? Whether, you know, are we paying attention? Do we look like it? Is it coming through? Thank you for that. Now, I read something interesting on your website about negotiations. And it said that we could decode the person we're negotiating with by looking at what they wear and how they do their hair. I was like, wow, could you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so you can get some information from somebody on their personality. So the other thing I talk a lot about is personality and the big five. So how open someone is, how conscientious, how extroverted, how agreeable, and how neurotic they are. So for example, someone who is really well put together, like not a hair out of place, you know, the fingernails are done perfectly, um, everything is organized, they're probably very conscientious. And so you can pick that up. And with a conscientious person, they like, they typically like a lot of details. They like to know things. Um, on the other hand, if somebody, you know, meets with you and they're, they're looking a little disheveled, but they're, you know, they're talking about kind of big picture things, then they may not be high on the conscientious um, piece, but they're interested in, you know, that big picture and they just want to know the basics. Like, tell me what needs to be done. I will do it, but I don't want to get tied up in how you're going to do it and all the details around how you're going to do it. And so when you start to be able to pick those things up from people, then in a negotiation, especially, you can really start to give them what they need to to negotiate with you, to come to some agreement with you as well. Brilliant. And I guess that also works in a coaching environment and a, and a yeah, teaching environment as well, because reading that body language, well, actually those, it's even before the body language, just the yes. way that they look can give right. you a heads up as to, as to how you should talk to them or, or whatever. Okay, cool. And how would you, Oh, as a speaker, I'm just thinking about this same thing from a speaker's perspective. Right. As speakers, you want to almost treat the audience as a person so that you can have that conversation. Right. With you, you, you know this as a speaker yourself. <laughs> so how do you, do you bother to take into account people's body language when you're talking to a, an audience or do you, do you just ignore it? How does that work? Yeah, so I usually do. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard when you're a speaker because you're up there and you're trying to get out information. You're trying to be engaging. You're trying to do a lot of things yourself, but I try to read the audience a little bit. So for example, I did a talk one evening and it was a very late talk. So it got to be about 8.15 and people were like crossing their arms. And I knew that the presenters wanted me to go till like nine o'clock. But at this stage, everyone had had like a long day of work. They'd had some food, they had had some drinks. So I was like thinking, okay, I'm going to get them up off their chairs and I'm going to get them out of their seats and kind of wake them up a little bit. And then I'm going to see like, is the engagement back there? And that's exactly what I did. And it worked perfectly. So it's, it's, if you can catch that body language, then you might know whether they're listening to your message, whether you need a little bit more information, whether you're being too long or they're bored, those kind of cues and ideas can kind of come up while you're while you're presenting if you if you watch brilliant that's 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 really really i, I mean i i do make eye contact because i have background in stand-up yes. comedy and as a comedian you you have to be reading your audience yeah. to know whether that material is is fitting or you need to switch or whatever so it, it is important so i think that's a really good point so so if you're looking at your powerpoint slides reading those or reading notes you're not going to have that connection that's going to allow you to to switch things up a little bit if you need to yeah absolutely and i i certainly um you know talk i talk to speakers as well sometimes and teach speakers and they and i talk about the importance of eye contact and you know and certainly almost in a pattern throughout the audience you want to connect with them and eye contact's important because when you and i look at each other in the eyes we're actually building some oxytocin which is this hormone of connection mm-hmm. and it's what helps to make us all feel connected so i even tell people when they're doing a phone interview for um, a new job to pull up a picture of that person on linkedin that they're interviewing with and look at it 
because it'll at least build oxytocin in them. And that other person is going to hear that come through their voice. And so, you know, these little tricks can just help to make things, make you so much more impactful. Cool. That's great. And I I, I was just thinking about um, whether you consider, I mean, I guess it's not voice and body language. Do they work together? Is that, do you need to have congruence between those two? Is that something you cover off? Yeah. So I do cover a little bit about voice. I'm certainly not a, you know, um, in-depth voice coach, but voice is important. And so uh, research has shown us that the lower the register of your voice, typically the more you are seen as being um, confident, which is interesting because, um, you know, so I tell people, look at the register of your voice and try to speak in the lower point. I also talk a little bit about the question inflection, which is at the end of each sentence going up because you're like asking a question. And in sales, that is really important because if I tell you my price, if I tell you that, I don't know, the, you know, the price for this program is $1,000 and I go up at the end, you are going to question that price. Whereas if I say our program is $1,000 then you know the price is the price. You may not buy, but you're not going to question me on the price. Whereas doing that question inflection, you will question that price then because I'm not confident in it. And that's, that's that question inflection. I think, I know a lot of women do it. Yeah. But I think Americans actually do it more than the British, but I think it came from Australia first off. I oh, think. maybe. Yeah, I don't know where it came from, but we definitely, um, yeah, we definitely do it. And it's funny with, with things like voice and, and even some of these body language moves, they have a, they can have like a cultural dynamic. So I think we saw it in some of the younger generations, but then it started to catch in other generations as well. So it's just something, if you do it, you have to kind of keep an eye on it. Well, that's, that's you've just said something there that's made me think. I found out the other day that sign language i thought sign language was a universal language but it's not it even has yeah i didn't i didn't know it but um it's even even in in sort of the uk i think they have variations but certainly in different countries but i wonder with body language you just mentioned different cultures do you know is it could you be a body language expert in japan or china or is it country specific so it so there's definitely some universal body language. So certainly the micro expressions. There's seven that are um, researched, and they actually did tests. Initially, Paul Ackman did his research in um, Papua New Guinea and the U.S. And so there there had been um, ways that he put in place to make sure that that was universal. There are other things that are universal, but then there are some cultural differences. So some cultures are just more outgoing. They might talk more with their hands, those types of things, which um, you might want to pay attention to. But I kind I teach a universal body language and I try to stick to that universal body language. Um, and you know, if someone has questions about another culture, then I would typically address that. But I try to stick to just that universal piece. Brilliant. That's so. There is some stuff that we can we can take away, and and we'll we'll work whatever culture we're operating with. Yes. And I wanted to find out from you what from the people that you've taught and and coached. What have been some of the biggest results that you've seen from people changing their body language? Can you tell sure. me that? Yeah. So I, I coached one executive who was kind of a big deal at a company, but she'd just come into a, a, a VP role and her team is doing so much better because she was getting dinged by her upper management about not being confident enough and all these things. And so she started to get feedback from her boss that, oh, she looks, she's starting to look the part and, and all these things. So she's made some major impact with her teams. And then certainly in the sales process, um, I've worked with sales teams who have just increased their sales uh, because they've been able to take away some of those body language ticks, or they've just made these tiny tweaks. They're not even big things, but they're these tiny tweaks that they can make. And so, for example, I had one group who um, they would show up at the client's place and they would take all their stuff in with them. And it was just a lot. 
because they hadn't necessarily made the sale yet. So they didn't need anything else. So I said, well, just come in with one bag first. You can always go out and get the rest of the stuff later, but come with one bag. And that, even that made a big difference. Uh, And so all these, you know, all these little tweaks have increased sales for people. They've also made just some changes in their day-to-day interactions. Certainly I've worked with women on teams who are kind of, you know, entry level or in middle management and they just were having some problems being heard on a team. And so now they feel like they, they're able to kind of really use their voices and be heard in a more effective way. And do you think just, you know, we talked, just mentioned about gender again with some of the, the theme, do you think there are gender specific issues around body language that both sides need to work on to communicate yes. better? I do. I do. I mean, I think men tend to take up a lot of room. I was, I went to a conference once and I was waiting for the speaker to start. And I, guy came into like the first or second row and he stretched out all broad and he was over, he was a tall guy. So he was over literally like three or four chairs. And I just thought it was so, it just felt so aggressive to me. Um, And on the same token, you know, 10 minutes later, another woman walked in A woman walked in and she like, just, it was cold in the room, but she totally like pulled in. And I was like, wow, like if they both could meet somewhere in the middle, like (laughs) wouldn't life be better. So I think it's that I think sometimes men and not all men, but some men tend to just be a little more open, a little more out there, a little more kind of aggressive with their body language and women tend to pull in. So that's the biggest thing I see. If we could just all come more to that center focus. Do you think though, is it, is it possible that the, that chap, maybe that guy that did those big things, could that be compensating for some insecurity as well? I don't know. Is it always a sign of confidence or is it a sign of insecurity? Yeah, it can be both. And it can certainly be, um, it can also be very um, specific, like they're doing that for a specific reason. And, um, and I also find that some people just have some misperceptions about body language. So I was working with um, a client who was interviewing people to work at his company. And he said to me, well, he's like, I don't know why people don't really want to come. He's like, but when I pull him in for an interview, this is what I do. And he's like, I walk in and he showed me a really confident walk. I was like, all right, that's good. And he sat down and he would kind of lean back in his chair and he would cross his, um, he would do what we call the cowboy cross. It's kind of putting your ankle on your knee and it kind of opens you up a bit. And I said to him, I'm like, that is really aggressive. I'm like, I think you're scaring people off. I'm like, by the way you're sitting. But he had no idea. He thought it was like that that was the right way to sit. And so, you know, he changed that and he was able to hire hire some folks for his team. And and, um, because he's not that kind of guy. So it just was like this misperception he had. I bet that happens a lot, actually. I bet people hear stuff like, you know, I've been talking about what I've heard and they impact it and it's completely, completely wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and the executive, the one executive that I coached before, she was telling me that she was from an Italian family and she felt like she talked a lot with her hands. And early in her career, someone told her, you talk too much with your hands. So she spent years putting her hands like down by her side and talking, which isn't good either because we need to see the hands. They're trust indicators. Gosh, there's, is that there's, it seems like there's a lot, lot to this stuff. That yes. Yeah. Only we only scratching the surface in this. Yes, exactly. Fascinating. <laughs> but I guess, so before I go on to my standard questions, maybe if I could ask you for a speaker to get the confidence of the audience, Yes. What three top body language tips would you give? And then I want to ask about sales as well. But for a speaker, what are those three things they can absolutely do to, you know, to, to I guess, the most important around body language? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is to have a very specific walk-in. So there's a reason there's a dot on the stage with TED Talks, right? They're coming in and they're making a very specific entrance. So you want to make that entrance. You also want your posture to be upright and, and your 
hands out. And those three things alone will just help with that first impression. And, and that's really where it matters most for a speaker. Not that everything else doesn't matter, but that first impression is really important. Um, and that's what people are going to take away. And they're also going to take away how you make them feel, right? So you want to make sure that your audience feels welcomed if that's what you're trying to, um, trying to put forward. Excellent. Thank you. And then what about when we are, when we are selling, when we are asking for the sale, if, if you like, what are the three things that we can do or I guess on the other, on the reverse, not do to be successful as we can be? Yeah. So I think the one thing is um, take out the question inflection. If you have that at all in the, in the sales conversation, sometimes when we're nervous about selling that, crops up. Um, the other thing I would say is just to, to watch the other person and try to be really responsive um, and try to think of it as, you know, almost like a negotiation. This isn't, you don't want to be, I don't know, just kind of hardcore selling. You don't want to make them feel uncomfortable and you want to be able to catch what they're doing. Yeah. And if they're trying to feel uncomfortable, you want to be able to see that as well. Um, so those are a few things that can help in the sales process. Brilliant. Well, Shelley, thank you so much for, for all of those great tips. Is there, is there anything else you think we've not covered that you think, Oh God, people must, this thing they must do. Or have we, I know, I know we haven't covered everything because it sounds like a (laughs) deep, deep subject, but anything that, anything else you think that I, I should have said that, or I haven't covered that. Yeah. I, the only thing I would say is that, um, be yourself as well. I really feel strongly about this idea of authentically influencing. And so it's not about, you know, body, it's good to learn the body language um, cues and it's good to learn what science says about body language, but at the end of the day, you need to be yourself. And so harness that, make sure that you, you are using your hands and different things, but but really come back to who you are and putting that out authentically and use body language for good. Um, I don't like to see people using it to manipulate or anything like that. That's certainly not what we're about. And so I would say, you know, use it for the good of, of everyone. I love that. Thank you. That's, that's really, really nice message to sort of, sort of finish that stuff on. Thank you. Okay. Right. I have some standard questions for you. Okay. Sure. What's the, best thing that speaking has done for you or your best gig the one that sort of sticks in your mind yeah that was great oh that's a good one um you know I so I have been a volunteer and a member of an organization called the health business women's association and so I had sat in their audience for years and watched other speakers and then when I started my business, I was looking for places to speak. And eventually I landed there and spoke to them. And boy, like to stand on stage and to look out and realize that I was in front of them now. Like I definitely had a moment of, you know, being taken back by that and just realizing that I had come full circle. And so for me, speaking has really helped with my own confidence um, and just, you know, being able to connect with people and to get my message out there. Brilliant. And do, so do you, do you speak as, as, as part of your sort of business development or is it just to inspire and educate? Um, so both I do. Yeah. I speak. Um, I do a lot of conferences and associations, but I go into companies as well and do some consulting work as well. Excellent. Cool. And then what about the worst gig? Can you remember, have you got a worst gig speaking? Gig the worst gig. Um, so I spoke to a company and I just, uh, got serious stage fright. And so I was up the whole night before and, um, I just struggled with that speaking event. And I think now that I'm a more experienced speaker, I think that I probably, um, you know, should have prepped more than I did. And I should have, um, maybe just tried to connect with the audience a little differently than I did in that event. And so I, it does, I do still think of that event and, um, you know, I think in the end it went off. Okay. It just wasn't my best work. And I, I just feel badly that it didn't go better. Do you find, do you catch yourself out when you're 
speaking in terms of what you're doing with your body language are you are you conscious of it all the time or is it something that you just kind of like back to that authenticity you just go with how right yeah i'm not i'm not super conscious of it all the time and so i sometimes though i'll catch myself doing something it's funny i teach lie detection as well and so there are certain things that we do when we lie and i've already had moments where i've been like thinking about something in my head or talking to someone close to me, like my husband and saying something and I recognized like a lying cue and been like, do I really, maybe I don't feel this way. Like, why am I saying this? Like, and, and then I have to like step back and like rethink like, okay, maybe I'm not comfortable with whatever I, you know, I thought I was or God. so it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, but you just, I've, I've got to ask you this. Like, so does, <laughs> how does, now that you can detect lies, how does your, has your husband changed his, I mean, not, I'm not saying, but we all yeah. do, don't we? We all, do, we're never hundred percent truthful, are we? Yes, exactly. We're never a hundred percent truthful. Um, yeah, he just laughs about it. He says, yeah, I can't, I can't get away with anything anymore. Although it's funny, like the first time when I first learned lie detection, I said to him, now I want you to lie to me over the next two weeks. And I want you to make sure it's something that like is believable so that I, you know, you try to catch me out and see if I can actually catch it or not. And, um, and he lied to me, but I caught it like right away, but it was something that really wasn't that believable. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Like, so. Oh dear. Excellent. Well, that's a whole other program. I have to get you back to talk about life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. And what next question, what's the one book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? So, um, Actually, it was before I opened my business, but I had read this amazing book called um, Essentialism by Greg McKeon. It is probably sitting, it's sitting right here. Um, I have read this book, uh, I probably five times and I've listened to it on audio and it is very much about um, just being very focused on what you want to do and um, having a dedicated um, and kind of the power of the fact that when we don't make decisions, we actually are making a decision to do something else. And it's, it's just this amazing book. I've read it so many times and it just really brings you back to what's important in life and what's important in your life. And so, uh, so that is the one book that I just, it's like my Bible. I come back to it time and time again. Oh, I should check that out. I've read the one thing, but I haven't read essentialism yet. So I have to to check that out. Excellent. And then what, what's your favorite film and why? Oh, my favorite film. Oh my goodness. Um, this is a tough one. (laughs) I, so I actually think it's Bridget Jones, which Uh, is kind of guilty pleasure. Um, and I think it's just because we all have moments where we feel like Bridget Jones, right? Like, you know, the, the car splashes you and you're covered in mud. And, and she is a character who, who does bring her confidence in the end. Um, but she has such trials and tribulations with it. And so I really, um, identified with that when it was a book and when it first came out and I, uh, so I just, I, and it's also just fun, good, good part and fun. So that was pretty, thank you for sharing that. And then the last question, if you could have one mentor, Alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Um, who? So actually, I would. So um, there was a teacher in my life um, in kind of my high school life. His name is Carl Kalenko, and he actually died a few years ago. But he's the person who got me into politics and just gave me such an interest in this. Um, you know, how government works and how policy works and that I later had a, you know, career in it. And I think it was really because he just had an awesome teaching style and he was just, um, just incredibly interesting. And you talk about body language. He used to do crazy things in class just to keep us awake and keep us interested. And, and so I think if I could have a mentor, I'd, I'd bring him back and, and have him as my mentor. Gosh, that, that, that's it's nice to have someone from your life. Um, it is. 
while you were talking about that as well and the things that you said and your politics you mentioned it just i'm have you been approached because of your background in politics and body language are you much in demand at the moment given your your president and and their the congruence and all that stuff i'm not i'm not making any judgments i'm just curious i would imagine that people must be interested in what you have to say on it yeah definitely so i haven't been approached by too many politicians but uh but i certainly get a lot of questions when i speak on donald trump and um and so i am uh yeah, I got tons of questions on him. I think that he's fascinating from a body language perspective alone. Right. And, um, and I think he's very, very much has this um, nonverbal brand. And so he is just a fascinating study. Yeah. That was what I wanted to ask you about that, actually. I'm sorry, I've yeah. sort of gone back, but what, what do you mean by nonverbal brand? Yeah, so he has very particular things that he does. This is one of them, actually. Yes, he does yes, this a lot, yeah. it, right? And then he also has this facial punctuator, which is this weird face he makes. I can't even do it. The own um, face, you mean? Yeah, which is his face for sure. So he has very specific things he does. He also, I, you know, I think that he's probably been trained in the body language um, space, and. Along the years, I'm sure he's been trained, um, if nothing else, in just how to put himself forward. And I think he probably wants to be perceived as very aggressive and assertive. And those are all things that are part of his branding. Um, So I've worked with some people in the past on those types of things. One was a speaker who just wanted like a way to walk off the stage. So we were walked, we worked on how he could walk off the stage in like a really cute, effective way. So those are the types of things that you can do from a nonverbal perspective to kind of brand yourself. Gosh. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to have you back in, in a while. Let's talk talk <laughs> awesome. about how you walk off stage and all yeah. stuff. loads of stuff. <laughs> but Shelly, I, I really appreciate you giving us your your you know wisdom and the, the tips and your experience really been valuable and as I say it's just a, a really fascinating subject so thank you very much really appreciate thank it you. and whereabouts if people want to work with you if they want to book you to speak or they want to train with you where sh- where's the best place for them to go Sure. So the best place to go right now is um, www.illuminatethemessage.com. And you can find me there. You can find information on how to contact me, how to come to your company, how to work with you directly one-on-one. I do some Skype coaching too. So uh, it's easy to get to people. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll put a link to your, to your website in the show notes. And, and are you on social media at all on LinkedIn or? Oh, yes. Yeah. So Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Shelly O'Donovan and, um, and LinkedIn as well. You can find me at Shelly O'Donovan on, on LinkedIn too. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure I'll include those links as well. Well, thank, thank you again. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah. You, thank you so much and uh, have, a, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. That was so cool. I learned so much and, and it actually made me want to learn more. I shall definitely be watching my nodding pace and which bit of the body I'm gazing at. So uh, go and check out Shelley's website and the book she's co-authored called Success Is Yours. And I'm sure she'd love to connect with you on Twitter or LinkedIn. Well, thank you so much for listening as ever. I'm sure, I can't believe you wouldn't find that useful, but if if you definitely did, leave a rating or review wherever you're listening to the show and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing. Also, come and say hi to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Hey, if you're listening to the show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack 
that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.